Hi everyone and welcome to The Herd. I'm your host Tamika Spalding and I'm thrilled to have you join us today. Our story is important and this podcast is dedicated to sharing inspiring stories like yours and mine to uplift and encourage as we grow in faith together. Enjoy. Hi everyone and welcome to episode two of the His Herd podcast. Now last week, if you missed that one, uh, we had Marcel from Voice of the Martyrs come and talk with us and that was an excellent um, testimony that he shared of his work with Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, today we we come again with another guest speaker. Uh, I I thought I'd share with you that since last last episode, I've created myself an office um, we, we'd already started building a bit of an office, but I've decided that I'd uh, deck it out a little bit more. And I was very excited to put up on the wall um, a, a hand-drawn picture of a rose. And that was pretty significant to me because 17 years ago, back in 2005, I was starting to date my now husband, uh, Luke. And uh, at the time, I was studying sociology and psychology at, at university, and he drew me this rose, and it's probably the nicest gesture that I'd I'd had up to that point, and I didn't want to lose it, so I stuck it in the uh, front of my psychology textbook, and then it wasn't long after that I actually moved into a Bachelor of Education, and so it's just been sitting safely in that textbook, hidden away in a shipping container for the last 17 years, and I finally got it out. And it's now up on my wall in my office, so that's uh, that's exciting. And um, yeah, today we are talking, uh, as as you all know, about real stories and, and real people. Um, I like to have stuff that's not superficial, that's deep and meaningful, that will inspire and and uplift. And today I will give a quick warning that uh, today we are going to be talking about a very relevant topic at the moment: pornography. And uh, so this is going to be a, a good in-depth discussion. And today we have Pastor Daniel Mateo with us, and he can introduce himself, a bit about his family, and and start us off. <laughs> Hi, Tamika. How are you going? Hi. Yeah. Yeah. No, really good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my name's Daniel, and uh, a bit about my family. Yeah. So I'm married with two. Uh, my wife, Katie, is a teacher. I've got uh, a 15-year-old daughter, uh, Grace, and a, uh, an 11-year-old son, Samuel. So we um, yeah, we reside in Tasmania at the moment, and we're looking after youth ministry there. That's yeah. great. Yeah, so that's uh, that's what we do, yeah. So tell me uh, a little bit about this topic, because this is something that's quite close to your heart. You actually offered to come and, and talk today, which I'm so grateful for. And so why is pornography a an important topic that you'd like to share? Mm. Yeah, look, this is a this is a tough one, isn't it? And it's something that we often uh, can't really uh, express to one another or talk about. But uh, in my life, in my experience, I am a, a recovered pornography addict. And I'll talk about the reason why I I call myself recovered uh, a little later, uh, but that that was my journey, you know, for for a number of years. These things controlled my life, you know. Pornography said jump, I jumped, and and I really felt that uh, I had no control or ability to to regulate my own behaviour in this area, mm. and uh, as a result of what God. Well, I believe what God did, did in my life, you know, I um, I have victory over that addiction. I would <clears throat> also like to, I guess, um, uh, pre-figure or, or 
prequel what I what I want to say but by saying I recognize I'm a very human person and you know we all have human weaknesses and I by me saying that I've got victory it doesn't mean that I don't have any temptation and it doesn't mean that I don't um, need to struggle or pray or continue to grow and and be transformed but uh, what it does mean is that there's power available and uh, yeah so I, I don't believe that if for example, I were to fall, that that would in any way um, denigrate the victory that God's uh, given me up till now. And, um, and so I just wanted to, wanted to say that I believe that all of us are on a journey of, of growth, which involves both ups and downs. And, uh, and I hope that's an encouragement to people out there that are going through their ups and downs in this area also. Yeah. Yeah. So um, look, basically, I believe that, uh, that quite often when we develop dependencies on dysfunctional behaviors, this being one, um, I believe that often it stems from pain or some sort of issue of control that we don't, you know, that we're struggling to um, to deal with. So for me, the first time I actually came in touch with, with pornography was actually when I was a kid. And this was in the 90s. And uh, it was before the internet was very widely had. But I was playing with some Power Ranger toys. I don't know if you remember Power Rangers from <laughs> I the do. 90s. yeah. And my, uh, my mate... I had a Megazord, if you remember know what that is. It doesn't matter. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and my mate really wanted it. And uh, he said to me, look, uh, you know, I want to trade. And he's trying to trade me different things of his, but nothing's worth a Megazord. But then he said, look, I've got these magazines that I flogged from a kid at school. Mm. And uh, and I said, well, what magazines? And he, he showed me. Now, these were like black label penthouse magazines. So you, you had to be a subscriber and you had to be over a certain age. You couldn't just get them in the, in the news agency. And I thought, and I was a little bit intrigued by what they were, didn't really understand. So I traded my, my toy for that. This was at the age of about 12 or 13. Mm. Now, those things at, in that really key time in my emotional development, being exposed to those images and, and even the stories and things like that, um, they had a really important impact in my, in my development. Mm. And uh, I remember even as a 13-year-old kid, being exposed to this stuff thinking you know what I, I don't think I could ever just be happy being married to one woman I'd have to have at least two or three at any given time to be happy and that's a result as a, of a 13 year old child being exposed uh, to abuse material like this you know so I um it's so but it didn't become an addiction it sort of settled its way into my heart and formed um, part of my developing sexuality but but it, uh, it it wasn't an addiction at that time that came a little later and I, look, I, I'm not somebody that believes that sex is bad. I don't think that sexuality is bad. I think that they were created by God for a purpose. But just like everything else, often these things have been um, perverted, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, yeah, so what, what happened is uh, I joined the army at the age of 18 as an infantry soldier. And uh, I was deployed to East Timor in 2003. Mm -hmm. And uh, during that time, I became... Uh, well, you call it, like you might think of it as being workplace bullying. In the Australian Army, we call it bastardisation. Uh, I became a victim of some um, some targeted um, sort of negative behaviour by an immediate superior. And the injustice of it, the frustration, the, the rage that I, that I felt within myself. Like, to give you an idea how bad it got... Um, we were watching a film once, the film Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, I don't recommend this to, to your viewers, but anyway, that's what we're watching. And uh, there, was a, there was a scene there where a soldier turns around to another soldier and says, if you would give away our position again, I'll bleed you. And he kind of made a, made a, a uh, sign on his neck like he's going to kill this guy. And this guy was, that was uh, sort of victimizing me stood in front of me and he turned around and he said, and he kind of pointed at me and made the same sign. And he said, yeah, you better watch out sort of thing. And I, I, 
I took that very seriously. Mm. And from that point forward, like as, as a soldier in operations, you always carry your rifle close to you. But I made sure I always had my fighting knife underneath my pillow and I slept with my hand on it because I, I was so angry at the guy. I hated him so much that um, I thought that's good. If he has a go at me and tries to do something, then I can kill him and, and I won't get in trouble because it'll be self-defense. And so I was always ready. But you can't deal with that sort of stress all the time. You know, I was on operations for six months with this guy, living in very close quarters with this person and putting up with his behavior. And the only place where I could be alone was with pornography. It was an escape for me. Actually, that's not true. My parents had given me a Bible as I went away, but I never opened it, unfortunately. <laughs> it could have been a place that I could have I could have retreated to my spirituality, but I didn't do that. I chose to focus my pain inwards. And, uh, and I felt like I could be away when I was focusing on these magazines, you mm. know, that I didn't have to... Uh, I didn't have to be where I was and uh, it was like I was somewhere else. It was an escape. But what it meant was that this um, addiction really settled itself into my heart and, and began to control my behavior. And I, uh, I remember when we were getting ready to, to go back to Australia, uh, I tell you what, there was so much porn in our FAB forward operating base. You know, this, so many guys had it um, that uh, our company sergeant major said, we can't take all of this stuff back through customs. It'll make us look bad. And, wow. you know, so we, we got to get rid of it. And uh, he tasked me with burning all of this pornography. You know, you know, I was grieving. <laughs> Opening a can of worms there. <laughs> well, I was grieving. And this gives you an idea. When you begin to understand how this addiction works, you know, I believe God um, for, invented spiritual uh, sexuality as a way of bonding with our mm. partner you know with the, with our husband or wife that this is a way of bonding emotionally and when we focus our we focus this sexual energy on an inanimate picture mm. that we begin to bond with that we use that as a coping and bond you know me- mechanism for making our way through life instead of depending on a real person that can help and uh, and I was actually in grief you know every time I had to put a magazine on a fire I was quickly flipping through it because I was like oh no you know I'll miss out and it was it was painful for me and I began to recognize that was a problem anyhow when I <clears throat> I got back to uh, to Australia and, you know, I'd, me and my girlfriend were sort of on the rocks because she cheated on me while I was overseas. But, but I began to go to church because um, God had supernaturally saved my life while I was on operations. Uh, maybe I can tell that story another time. But I recognize now that God was real and I began to pursue him and I began to go to church and uh, ended my relationship with my girlfriend and uh, during the course of things met my wife. And then as I was going to church more um, frequently surrendered my life into, into Jesus' hands. Um, they started giving me responsibility at church. I became a youth leader and then a deacon. And, mm. But I was, I was re-baptized, but still had this addiction, this up-and-down spiritual experience where I'd feel really good at church, feel like God you know, was um, active in my life, and then I'd go away and have this other part of myself, and then I'd have these emotional downs where I felt so such shame and felt so guilty that God would never love me and too um, unworthy even to pray and all of that, and this up and down, up and down. And I remember it got really bad. I'm driving. I was driving uh, to church to do something or other, and uh, I saw a little torn up bit of magazine in the gutter in the side of the street. And straight away I had the thought in my mind that I had to have it. And my blood started to run and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and my mouth started to water. And I said, I've got to have it. And I went pull o- pulled over on the side of the road to get this 
torn up bit of magazine. But then somebody came around the corner and I didn't want anyone to think, oh, they're going to see the church deacon, you know, picking up porn. So I quickly pulled <laughs> off, you know, and went. Out. And then as soon as they went around, I did a U-turn and came back and uh, tried to pull over. But then someone else came around the corner. This happened five or six times. I'm going wow. up and down. And in the end, I just pulled up on the side of the road and I said, Lord, this is disgusting. What's wrong with me? Mm. This is sick. I'm sick. There's something wrong with me. I've got no control over myself. And I was going for a run because I like I liked to run. And I was just, just beating myself up mentally, just torturing myself, just self-flagellating. And I was praying and I was saying, Lord, just help me to see how revolting my sin is to you so that I won't want to do it anymore. Mm. And you know what? God spoke to me in that moment. He said, you don't even have to worry about that. All you need to know is that my grace is sufficient for you. And I began to pray about it. I, um, I had experienced victory one time in the sense of one small, small battle. When I was uh, in the army, I'd, uh, I'd had to do some visual tracking training in Tully uh, in North Queensland. And there's a little army base there and, you know, it's near the jungle. So you go out and you, um, you know, do your exercises and stuff. But in the evening, you come back to these very primitive barracks. And I'll tell you what, you know, heaps of porn stacked up on the cistern on the back of the toilet, you know. And I'm, Anyway, so I went to go to the toilet and there's the porn and I have all of these feelings, you know, all of this going through me. And I, at the time, I was reading a little book called Desire of Ages about Jesus. And I, and I went and when I saw it, I said, Lord, Please, if you're really there, help me to be able to resist this. And I, but you know what? The, the feeling overcame me and I went to reach for the pornography. But then I was praying about it, saying, Lord, please help me. And, and my hand was extended out, reaching for these magazines. For probably about 10 or 15 minutes, I was just standing there. And in the end, as I was praying, I withdrew my hand, I turned around and I walked out of the toilet block. I don't remember if I even ended up going to the toilet. But it was such a feeling of... It was such a feeling of joy because I'd actually won. Mm. It was the first time in my life that I'd actually said no to this thing. And it was like power because it was like the chains were falling away. Yeah, it's like it's a big deal. Okay, okay, if God can give me victory in this moment, maybe he can give me victory for the rest of my life. But after that, it was up and down. And um, anyhow, I was reading a book by Bernie Anderson. He's an uh, Adventist pastor called Breaking the Silence, and he had been a pornography addict. And in that moment, I started thinking, maybe it is. Maybe it is that God can actually give me victory over this for real, forever. Not just ups and downs, not just doing okay for a while, then fall. Mm. And when I really thought about that, you know what? It actually honestly terrified me. Because I could imagine going without it for a week or two or a month or two even. Mm. But the idea of never having my never having my crutch, never having my retreat, never having this thing that I'd use to deal with my pain and anger and rage mm. ever again in my life. That was terrifying to me. And what I realized is that I didn't actually want to win. I just wanted to go up and down. I wanted to be able to come back to it. Mm. And so I started to pray, not that God would give me victory, but that he would help me to want the victory. Mm. And uh, and that was over the period of 12 months. Now, by that time I was out of the army, my, my wife was mar- and I were married. When we were, enga- when we were engaged... My um, the Lord had uh, begun to to uh, to speak to me about telling her about my problem, and uh, I, he, what he said to me was, "Are you really going to let this woman marry you without letting her know what you really are?" And I was just so frightened by that. I was so overcome with fear because this is the deepest, darkest, most shameful part of my life, 
and the you know you got to know the pornography industry is very very strategic in the way they do what they do they plan to draw people that are involved in it deeper and deeper into stuff that's that's you know shameful and uh, and so you begin at something that's quite vanilla and then you get drawn deeper and darker until you've got shame you know just shame you can't tell people because it's just you're in chains to darkness and I and I anyway I I, I said Kate I've got to tell you something and anyway it took me about an hour to get it out and then she wanted to look at my web browser history, which, you know, rookie mistake I hadn't deleted, you know. <laughs> and so I let her do that. And, oh, the shame. And, and her tears, seeing her pain, seeing how it had affected someone other than just myself. I didn't, even, I didn't ever realize that it would hurt her so much. You know, because for a woman, this is all of their secret fears and insecurities made manifest. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. All of that. You know, this is just evidence that all of that is true. Mm. It's not. It's not about her. It's about your own problems. You know, for well, for me as a man, I know this is a problem for men and women both. But it's not about the partner. It's about you. And so, but anyway, she had become. She had agreed still to marry me, but she recognised I had this problem, and she became my prayer partner in it. She became my accountability partner. I often tell people that um, in order to grow in this area, it's divine power plus human support equals growth, and not just support, but also accountability. Yeah. So you got to have the power of God. You got to have a positive spiritual life. You got to be focused on um, on life, and that's in. By the way, that's the principles of AA as well. They talk about a higher power, but you also got to have that that human aspect somebody to talk to someone to be honest with a consequence when you've done something you have to have someone in your life that's going to ask you the hard questions so that when you're in that moment that you will turn to god in prayer and ask for power because you recognize oh well tomorrow i'm going to get asked a question and i want to be able to be honest you know and so having a consequence it just sets up an additional layer of um of protection in your life, you know. So anyway, so yeah, that's the uh, that's what I tell people. It's like an equation: divine power plus human support equals growth. I like that. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. <laughs> um, so so she had started to pray for me. Now this time I got out of the army straight after we got married, and uh, and I was working for security. And one of the jobs that I was doing, I'd do overtime, twelve-hour Sunday overtime at a tradies office near an airport. Now it was right on the back of the little. Um, news agency that was in the airport uh, this was in uh townsville and what had happened was when they uh, when the news agency was finished with the porn they didn't sell they take it out the back they'd throw it in the skip bin and then the tradies would come out grab it all mm. and then <laughs> they'd end up in their office be there yeah so i'd be locked up in this office for 12 hours all by myself nothing to do just sit there there was like a little there's like a 40 meter patroller had to do like <laughs> once every three hours but they just wanted someone to look after their tools for 12 hours at a time, all by myself, doors, windows closed, and stacks and stacks of porn everywhere. I really believe that when you make a decision in yourself that um, that you that you want to really fight this thing, that the enemy's going to throw everything he can at you. And this was this was my battle. And I'd, Kate had dropped me off in the morning, and uh, we'd pray together, and I'd spend 12 hours basically in prayer and Bible study. And then she'd pick me up at the end of the day, and she'd say, how do we go? And she'd be praying it, praying for me. And uh, sometimes you were really working at it. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'd say, "Good, we had a good day." And sometimes I'd just have to hang my head in shame. But it mm. went on like that until I started to notice that my victories were getting more frequent, and my losses were getting were getting less frequent. And then after a period of time, it's like it's been nine months, it's been a year, it's been two years, you know. 
<clears throat> and so what are we looking at now? Like 16 years, I think. 15 years maybe, like mm-hmm. that. yeah. I don't like to focus so much on time because um, like with AA, people rack up time and they, they never say when they go to AA, this is something I disagree with. I really respect that organisation, by the way, but Alcoholics Anonymous, there's two things I think that are that are a problem. The first is that they, they say they're an alco- alcoholic for life. I believe there's real victory available. I believe that you can call yourself a recovered alcoholic. Um, if, you know, doesn't mean that you don't have to grow and pray and doesn't mean you don't struggle, but, you know, there's victory available. Uh, the other thing is that they talk about their time. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm an alcoholic and it's been three weeks since my last drink. So what happens is when you rack up time in a, in a focus of, um, as a focus of fighting your addiction, if you fail, if you relapse, mm-hmm. if you fall, you figure... Oh, I've wasted all this time. Yeah. I've lost all. I've lost all this time. Might as well just. Th- and this is what people do. They say, "Might as well just throw myself into it," and they write themselves off. And then you know what I mean. Mm. And then they've got shame going back and talking to p- the people in their support group again because they've lost all that time, and it's almost. But that's not how the brain works. You behaviors in your brain are in your head physically, like or just like a hair or a fingernail. Your your neurons, your brain cells, form little synapses. Like, for example, if I say to you, what, what does chocolate taste like? You can sort of imagine the taste of chocolate on the back of your tongue. And the reason is that the first time you ever ate it, two of your brain cells made a little connection called a synapse and passed electricity over it. And every time you think about, or every time you've had that experience, it made another little synapse and another one and another one until it formed a sort of cluster. And all your brain has to do is pass a bit of electricity over th- that little cluster and then you... Uh, you can experience that again. And so it's the same. When you, for example, you have a stressful situation in your life and you deal with it by doing drugs or looking at pornography, that creates a synapse and you do it again until it's a cluster and it becomes physically there in your brain. And that's what our addictions are. They are a response that's set up like they're, they're physically there. But in the book of Romans, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And every time you make a different choice, Every time you do something else, every time you feel tempted and, and God gives you the power to do something else, well, that's physically there in your brain as well. So every time you've got the victory, you haven't lost any. If you relapse, you haven't lost anything. It's still mm. there. Yes, you've added another synapse to that other behavior, but you haven't lost the time that you've, you haven't lost the victory that you've had so far. It's not gone. You just pick yourself up. You say, all right, I stuffed it. Lord, give me power and strength to keep moving forward from this point. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that – oh, can I – I'll just add one more thing, and that is that um, for me, um, the praying God's Word has been really powerful and helpful. Um, praying God's Word, yeah. So there's a verse in Job, I've made a covenant with my eyes, why should I look upon a maid? You know, and Jesus said, if any, even if a man look at a woman lustfully, he's committed adultery already in his heart. So when I'm tempted, I kind of repeat those two verses over to myself and pray and ask God for uh, ask God for help and power. You know, if a nice-looking lady walks past, I, it's not just that I don't. I want to be faithful to my wife in my mind as well as my body. So I and and I want to respect her as a sister as well, and I don't want I want her to feel safe. I don't want her to feel like that, you know, that she's being ogled by me, you know, and so I want to make sure that there's purity going on in my mind as well as what I what I do and what I look at as well. So um, I think it begins in those sorts of behaviours, and yeah. So I'm not saying that that's a that's 
I'm perfect in this area, but this is this is my journey. I'm moving towards the purity that God promised. Yeah. So I guess that's a little bit my story. I, don't, I can't remember what I said and what I didn't say. So if you've got any questions <laughs> or anything, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. I mean, you've put yourself in a vulnerable vulnerable position to be able to share that. Like you said, um, you know it it can be a, a very shameful thing to talk about. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people um, that that would struggle in this area and are probably still at that point where it's just too shameful, it's too big of a thing, I can't, I don't know who to talk to. Um, it, what advice would you give somebody if they're in that situation where they, they haven't actually told anyone yet but they're at that point where... They, they want to get out or they want to move forward. Well, one thing that helped me, first of all, is recognising that the, the people that I'm looking at in pornography are real people, that this is not just a, a nameless, faceless, you know, no person that, that exists for my pleasure. These are real people, quite often people that have been trafficked or abused in some way, even people that are participating in the, in the industry willingly or have often got a history of abuse and they're using that. So these are, these are people that are deeply wounded no little girl says when I grow up I want to be a porn star you know this is because some horrible thing has happened to her either in childhood or adulthood that mm-hmm. where she's been wounded but and that's if she's not being trafficked or manipulated or drugged or or agreed to a scene with one guy and turned up in this five or whatever it be you know there's there's also so we got to start to really humanize the, the people we're looking at first thing when we do that then recognize that this is a problem okay this is a bad thing all right I'm at that spot this is a bad thing. This is not good for me. It's not good for my relationships. It's not good for my mind. Okay, now I'm stuck in shame because I can't talk to anybody about it. Well, then I can recognize, well, do you know what? I think it's something like 33% of men admit to pornography addiction. That's not just regular use. It's actual addictive compulsive behavior. Um, Something like 14% of women Mm. you know like it's huge yeah so the shame that we feel is uh imaginary because this is just everyone that's involved in this yeah. absolutely everyone church non-church uh pastors every everybody this is this is so pervasive and particularly because of social media even those of us that are you know that pursue purity in the, in our media intake but social media fear feed feeds you soft court porn through your uh, feed all the time you know yeah because that's what gets lights likes and clicks and and that's very hard you know when you're scrolling you know not to just click on something oh, man what did i click on that <laughs> you know and um so that's the first thing as or the second thing that we can recognize that that this is everybody third thing is that you know what there are people out there that you can trust now it is a big thing to admit to somebody that you have a problem like this um and i can't you know i've i've advise people to find someone they can trust and talk to about it before and, and when they have, you know, that person wasn't trustworthy. So I I can't tell you that you can just talk to anybody, but you do need to find somebody that you can trust. And there are people out there that will accept you for you and, um, you know, find a positive faith community or a support group or, uh, or some, you know, a close friend that can support you, not just support you doing it, but actually support you in trying to, to get out of it, you know, is the important thing. But uh, more than anything else, I, I want you to know that, you know, Jesus took the shame at the cross. You know, Jesus was shamed and he was stripped naked and he was, you know, hung up on that cross and he took all of that shame onto himself for you. So any shame that you feel, you have to recognize that it's imaginary shame. 
The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same situation together. I can't say I'm any better than anybody else. I might be a little bit further along on this journey, but there's other things that I really struggle on in and that I'm nowhere near being what God wants me to be. So I believe God wants us to feel conviction when we do something wrong, but not shame. There's no need yeah. for that. Um, the, and lastly, that God offers power. He can uh, he can take away our shame, and he can give us power to overcome. But yeah, I just I guess reach out. Um, yeah, find somebody that you can trust and reach out. That divine power is there, but we really do need human support. When God put us in the Garden of Eden, he he was there, but also he said it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make somebody similar to him, you know. And he put he put us in community. We're supposed to grow in community. Yeah. Yeah. I. I I can't control who's in your life, though, so you have to find someone that you, that you, that you can trust. Yeah. yeah, I think I was surprised the first time that I ever saw any sort of porn. I was actually at a, um, a computer shop when my eldest, who's now 15, he, you know, he was about uh, maybe six or seven years old, and he'd just f- discovered Minecraft. And so we were at this computer shop because um, at the time there was a bunch of kids that were downloading a like a mod um, called Shadows um, back then that every every kid had, and I was trying to figure out how to download it so that he you know I could see it and he could, he could have it as well, and uh, so I took it into yeah, this computer shop and the guy was walking me through it and now this was a free um, mod and. Uh, it was we were going through the right channels to download it. We were doing everything, you know, above board, and yeah, it it popped up and it hit me then that you can make choices not to go and and look at this stuff, not to go and find it, but things can find you and it was completely shocking to me. But what was more shocking was that I knew that I was actually, you know controlling the technology that was coming into our home at the time or well, still still do and um you know I'd, I'd gone to the shop and I had downloaded it but the majority of the kids that he was socializing with uh their families weren't but the kids were and I thought if this comes up this innocently in the context where we were how many kids are seeing this at ages you know four five six um and and so you know that that really worried me. So this is um, like you you said before, um, this stuff starts innocently and um, fair, fairly vanilla <laughs> flavor style, and it can kind of go anywhere, um, and it can reach our kids at a really early age where they haven't even worked out sexuality um you know there's there's a lot of things that happen when when you're with a partner sexually that you know all turn on but if you've exposed to this even before you've got this idea of sexuality um you know you've already sort of started um before you've started so you know these conversations we can always um have how would you approach this, um, you know, your father yourself um, with your children? How would you discuss pornography with your children or those around you so that, um, you know, we can safeguard our kids? Look, you, re- you really can't control whether or not your kids are exposed to it these days. You used to be able to. Now you can't. Mm, average, right. average age of first, first exposure to pornography today is eight, age eight, and uh, usually while they're doing something for homework. It's normally the case. And that's uh, so. The majority of our of our kids uh, are exposed to this at some level. 
And you're right, it's it's there when they're at a critical formative stage of their sexual identity, you know, and uh, this these important years when they're supposed to be children, that they're exhibiting actually, uh, high school kids today, exhibiting a lot of similar behaviours to a victim of childhood sexual abuse because they are. Mm. They are victims of childhood sexual abuse and the industry is intentionally, intentionally targeting them because if they can get the addiction while they're young, they'll have them for life. Every click, every share, every view, that's all advertising revenue in the industry's pocket. And, uh, and this is a powerful thing. Uh, sexuality is such a powerful part of who we are that, uh, that it, when this sinks in and becomes a part of our selfhood, uh, that it is very, very um, destructive. And by the way, for, it's, a destructive, it's destructive to marriages. You know, the number of people that, uh, that I've had to do with over the years that, you know, you, s- you thought was, you know, a good, lovely Christian marriage and, you know, one, one or the other partner is exposing themselves to this stuff and wants to introduce all sorts of, um, you know, horrid behaviours into the marriage that, uh, that the other person aren't comfortable with. Why? Because they are so hyper um, stimulated by pornography that they're just uh, the normal love relationship with their partner can't, isn't enough. So what would we say? We we need to have the we need to stop with the shame around sex. I believe we've got an overhang in our culture, particularly in English culture, mm. in, and we're in Australia, which you know is strongly in, influenced by English colonialism. Obviously, this Victorian ideal of sex is bad. We don't talk about it. You know, it's, it's keep it silent. I, b- I believe we need to start having these conversations with our kids as early as possible. Definitely. As yeah. early as possible. Um, be very vulnerable. I, I believe they ought to be age-appropriate conversations yep. and age-appropriate um, terminology and so forth. But we can be very honest with what's going on and um, and what happens. And when we have opened, when we, when we create um, an environment that is safe between us and our kids and our family for discussing those, these things and the kids know that they can talk to us about it, then it's not a secret same shameful thing when they stumble across it. You can you can have a conversation. And when, for example, my son was, you know, um, doing something on a, on a laptop, which, by the way, had all of the protections in place and there was a pop-up uh, that, uh, that, you know, and being a kid, he didn't know. He just clicked on it because he didn't know what it was, you know, and then he came out and he said, Dad, what's this, you know, mm. and he was he's probably in about... Might have been in grade three or something like that, two or three, and uh, you know it was absolutely horrific. Uh, but he was able to come out and say, you know, yeah, Dad, what's this? You know, because why? Because we you know, we've got that open conversation happening, and it's got to be an ongoing conversation. You know, you can't you can't take things off the table. Some people, when their kids talk about sexuality or ask questions, that they'll get angry. You know, they'll respond because it's uncomfortable for a parent to watch their kids talking about things that are adult but these things are a natural part of human of uh, human formation but they have been captured something sacred created by god has been captured and repurposed by society to be monetized yeah and that's really what it's about at the end of the day the the industry is monetizing something that's sacred and they want to do that by manipulating your kids minds so uh, so we need to keep the conversation open at the end of the day any kind of accountability software that you can create any sort of um, firewalls or anything all of that is external you at the end of the day you can't control what happens inside a heart uh, but you can submit that heart or you can lead that heart to God and you can submit your own heart to God and he can come in and do a transformation so that it doesn't matter what you see, that, um, you know, that there will be purity. 
Yeah. I yeah. believe that Jesus had to live in Nazareth, which was a pretty bad place, and he was able to maintain his purity. So, yeah. Yeah, I really like that because, um, as you mentioned, we we can come into this subject with all the knowledge that we have um, with a bit of a fear response where we're talking to our kids and we're talking to them from this fear point of view, our fear. And, um, you know, and, and having a healthy, open discussion where you're teaching them about sexuality and about the joys of, of sex and, you know, what to look forward to and, you know, obviously it being age appropriate, but all the great positive things um, and, and relationship building, you know, there's a lot around, um, you know, relationship, healthy relationships that we can talk about with our kids as well, where it's a positive discussion. Um, so, I, you know, I really like that. Um, and it's not just uh, a, an issue that we've got to have an open discussion about with just our kids. I think it's a good open discussion to have with our, our family, with our spouse, with our partners, um, because, well, at the end of the day, we are all vulnerable, aren't we? Um, you don't know uh, when when something just might arise and it'd be you know it's good to have yourself already in that framework and you've got that support system um, and just have healthy relationships so that it can always be a discussion um, because you know you might be 10 years into your marriage and it becomes a problem so yeah what's what do you think is a good way to perhaps you know have some of that discussion with your you know as an adult with another adult you know as as time goes on. You're talking about a partner in particular. Yeah, right? like mm. a partner. Yeah, look, I mean, this uh, not everybody enjoys enjoys full uh, you know, trust within their marriage and that's that's something that if if there's if there's trust issues, if there's control issues in your marriage, it's, it might be something that you need to pursue a little bit of counseling or um, regulate behavior if there's something we're doing that, that isn't winning the other person's trust or if they have some bad hang-ups from a previous relationship that's caused them not to be able to trust because you need an, ad, a, an atmosphere of trust in the relationship to be able to create a safe space uh, for growth in this area. Why? Because it is natural. It is actually very natural and normal throughout the course of a marriage, for example, for one or the other partner to develop a crush or feelings for someone outside the marriage. There's very few marriages in the history of humanity. Could you look at someone after being married for 50 years and say, have you ever had feelings for someone else and for them to honestly say no? They've stuck with the marriage out of principle. It's not that they never ever had temptation outside the marriage. But I, for myself, and I don't, I'm not a marriage counsellor, so I don't know if this is good advice or not, but <laughs> with our marriage, we've found it very helpful to discuss those things to one, with one another because we committed to, with, to one another at, our, at the moment of our vows and because we are committed to one another's marriage in principle, despite mm. how we feel at any given time. And because uh, between the two of us, you know, we've got, there's very, for my wife and I, there's very limited conditions under which divorce would be acceptable for either, for either one of us. Very, very limited. And, um, you know, scripture, scripture permits, uh, uh, permits divorce for, for adultery. I know also, I believe, abuse. But, um, you know, probably Kate and I, if there was an issue of adultery, would work on it. You know, I think that we'd try and work it out. Probably abuse would be the line that we'd move away. But um, <clears throat> but but we've got that. That's a safe kind of boundary that we've set up. We've committed to one another. So as a result, when those things happen, we, we have those discussions with one another. So I remember 
I think it was uh, it's a couple of years ago, and I, I said to my wife, "Look, I, I just want I just want to talk to you about this. I don't know why this is happening, but you know, there's this woman that." kind of in my orbit at the moment and I'm for some reason I'm starting to feel that way towards her and I just wanted to tell you because I don't know what's happening I don't want it I don't want to feel this way it's just sort of um, turned on for some reason in my head and I wanted to let you know so we could pray about it together and obviously those things are never easy to hear for a wife and she said similar things to me over the years but we prayed about it but what's funny is as soon as I articulated as soon as I said it out loud straight away the feelings went away yeah. Never felt that way again. But if I had kept it in the darkness and kept it as a secret fantasy and as a, you know, thoughts oh, oh, and tried to get close to her, then it would have, it may have exacerbated over time and caused mm. a problem for us. But the fact that I was honest and brought it into the light, but I couldn't have done that if we didn't have trust in our marriage, mm. you know. And so, yeah, so trust is so important to be able to move forward in these areas. And like I said before, when one or the other partner has a has a problem with compulsive pornography use, this basically proves true all of the insecurities of the other partner. Yeah. All of the, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, attractive enough. You know, I can't do this. I can't do that. You, everyone has those secret fears. And when the other person is going outside of the marriage for sexual fulfillment, it basically all of that stuff, uh, your own internal voice that that flagellates you is is that's evidence that that's all accurate information but your partner is supposed to be the one that contradicts all of that and lets you know that no that's not true you are beautiful you are worthy you are enough you know all of that that's the sort of messaging you're supposed to get in a marriage but um it's so it's very devastating it's you know i i and i like today that you have really said that that it is not it is not the partner's uh fault that you know we make decisions and you know i know for me as a female um just as you said it would tick all the boxes of you know i'm not yeah i'm not good enough i'm not pretty enough i'm not desirable um but all those other messages um you know i'm overweight or i you know i've got bad skin or i'm not you know all those messages and then that becomes um a problem because then you know your your you know your partner's dealing with with their own problem, and then it becomes, you know, yeah, you know, I would start to have that that internal dialogue going on uh, with my own messages, and um, I really like it that you know your wife stuck uh, by you, supported you. Oh, was she had no reason to? I don't <laughs> understand why she did. You know, and you know what? There was no there was no guarantee that I was going to get through it. And can I just say that I'll just say this that um, in order to f- because there will be some people listening that have to make a choice, their partner's stuck in this, and do I hang around or not? Yes. You 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 got no guarantees. You really don't. Um, it's it's really up to them. And, you know, you've got to ask yourself the honest question, are you willing to put your future in the hands of someone else's maybe? Because this can really, this will really go go south when it goes all, the, when you go all the way down the path. But... Because people can separate from this, can't they? It really can break things. Oh, all the time. Yeah, divorce lawyers love this stuff because it's a it's a major contributor to their to their to their business. Mm. You know, um, but um, I would say this: you you need to see in the other person first of all like an acknowledgement that this is wrong mm. and bad, and that it is their fault alone and not yours. Um, if there's a sense of entitlement or a blame or, you know, well, you know, if you did this or if you could do this or whatever, think about the dysfunctional and toxic sort of 
cycle that you get into if you are trying to prove that you're as good as all of the imaginary stuff that happens in videos. And think of the, the depth of depravity that is out there on the internet and that you then have to attempt to live up to and how that would damage you psychologically. And, you know, you don't want to get into trying to prove yourself as good as the internet in, in a, that's so messed up. And so if there's a sense of entitlement in your partner that says that you need to be that in order to be good enough, then, um, then, it, then that is not going to work. There needs to be an acknowledgement that this is wrong. I've made an error. And, um, and not just a, I'll do better because promises are cheap. It's, mm. it's, this is what I'm doing in order to pursue healing. You know, I'm seeing this counsellor, I'm going to this support group, I'm reading these books, I've set this up in my life. Mm. You need to see that evidence and um, and then you still have to make the choice as to whether or not you're going to put your future in someone else's maybe. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing, you know, it's a hard thing, but you, you are not obligated to move forward uh, with, uh, with somebody that... Um, that it's gone gone away from you in that sense. Um, you know, move forward with marriage. I mean, once you're married, you know, you, you're going to try and obviously keep that, as, yeah. you know, as long as possible and, and try and work on it. But even then, you know, um, you know, if, if the person is really determined to go away from you and not to move towards you, then there's not much you can do to retrieve that, is there? Yeah, and mm. and in saying that, and that is not your, your baggage to carry, yeah. that that's not about you. Um, you know, that's a decision that they've made yes. and it's not a reflection on what you could have done, should have done. That was a choice that they've made and, and you know, you can, yeah, move forward. Um, if if you had some, um, you know, uh, have you got any places that you would, you know, send someone to other than like a support system, would you recommend, you know, where can people get help? Yeah. Yeah, well, look, um, quite often there are... Um, well, I don't, you know, obviously you've got, you've got listeners right around the world. <laughs> so um, obviously there might be need to be a, a little bit of internet uh, pursuing of resources and so forth. Most major cities have got um, sexual addiction support groups these days and uh, most counsellors are dealing with this in a, in a pretty big way because it is such a big problem. So, uh, so there will be some sort of therapy support around. Um, I, I always encourage people to try and pursue a involvement in a positive faith community and I don't just mean any any church that you happen to you know find in the phone book you need to hunt around for a positive and supportive faith community that isn't um, that has positive teaching in this area that can help you um, and that not all do so take some take some finding I recommend education you know reading up on on how these things work um, fight the new gr drug is a uh, organization that has really really good resources available a lot of good research uh, about how these things affect the brain and relationships and everything mm. so if you go to fight the new drug i can't remember if it's org or com or whatever but if you just google fight the new drug will be the first thing you find so that's a secular resource it's a bunch of it's like not um not religiously affiliated it's just people that recognize this is a problem and are moving against it and so you can educate yourself um about you know porn stars experiences as well as addicts as well as the just research on the brain research on addiction all that stuff's good um, educating yourself um, you need to find an accountability partner somebody that can ask you hard questions whether that be a counselor or a therapist or a close and trusted friend spiritual mentor someone that you get in touch with every now and again and who says hey listen you know tell me about this particular part of your life and that you're have to be really honest with mm. and um, lastly there is accountability software that could can be gotten both for uh, 
uh, both for um, uh, you know apps for iPhone and and uh, and for for your computer as well. The thing about those sorts of things is they can always be gotten around. Mm. All it is is just creating another obstacle for yourself to slay yourself down and think, you know, uh, okay, what am I really doing here? You know, so if you want to set up a few fences in your life, that accountability software is good um, that uh, you can Google and find it. There's um, there's some that was affiliated with triplexchurch.com. Um, but yeah, um, triplexchurch.com's uh, founder uh, wrote a book called Dirty Little Secret. That was quite a good read, I found, and uh, that helped me. And also uh, uh, Bernie Anderson, Breaking the Silence, from a from a more of a religious perspective as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's some, a few little resources just off the top of my head. I hadn't prepared anything specifically, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's um, some great places that we can, you know, those that, yeah, we can go to and, and find help because... It's um, yeah. If you need help, it, get help. Mm. Uh, it it you're will not alone. improve. <laughs> you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. By no means. Well, I, I do uh, appreciate so much that you've come today and shared. You know, talking about a, a difficult topic. Um, one of the one of the ones that can be um, you know, difficult to talk about out loud, especially on this sort of a platform. So I really appreciate you coming today, and um, yeah, thank you. Um, be tuned in for our episode three that will be coming out uh, shortly. If you've enjoyed today's program, feel free to share it with your friends and family. For more stories or to keep up to date with our events and community, you can also visit our website at hisherd.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Pinterest. Have a joyful day.